Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. The following podcast contains... Ah! What the f*** did you do that for? Hey! That was... Don't swear. What are we? Werewolves, not swearwolves. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you sent the feds to investigate the guy who created the rust monster, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, June 16th, 2017, Mystery of Fresno edition of the show, where we talk about Gary Gygax's sinister secret FBI file and exactly what is Fresno. I have no idea what's going to come out, so stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Grognard School for Gamers. Are you worried your child has an unhealthy interest in outdoor activity, a drive to compete in athletic events, or an obsession with team sports? Enroll them in Grognards. Our six-week full immersion course begins with original Dungeon Dragons and teaches the evolution of role-playing games throughout history. By the end of the course, your child will be a chubby, pasty nerd obsessed with killing imaginary orcs. No more wasted weekends watching preteens chase a ball. You can rest easy. Your child is happy in the basement painting miniature dragons with their nerdy friends. After all, no one ever suffered traumatic brain injury from looting an ancient temple deep inside the Swamp of Corvath. Grognog School for Gamers, saving children from the real world for 40 years. Use the promo code Gary at checkout and receive a free set of polyhedral dye. There he is. Seize him. Who said that? Ah! Hey, what the? Oh, ow! No! Uh, Who are you people? I'm Al Gore, and these are my Vice Presidential Action Rangers, a group of top nerds whose sole duty is to prevent disruptions in the space-time continuum. I thought your sole duty was to cast the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. That, and protect the space-time continuum, read the Constitution. Hmm, so I guess you'll want to see my fry hole. Very much so. But first, meet the Action Rangers. You already know Stephen Hawking. Also with us are Nichelle Nichols, a.k.a. Commander Uhura. Incoming transmission from MCI one-rate department. It sounds like a limited-time offer. Tell them I'm in the tub. To my left, you'll recognize Gary Gygax, inventor of Dungeons & Dragons. Greetings! It's a pleasure to meet you. And our summer intern, Deep Blue, the world's foremost chess-playing computer. Bishop, tonight four. Not all missions can be solved with chess, Deep Blue. Someday you'll understand that. Where am I, anyway? You're traveling in a specially equipped terrestrial transport module. A school bus! So what do you nerds want? It's about that rip in space-time that you saw. I call it a hawking hole. No fair! I saw it first! Who is that journal of quantum physics going to believe? Mr. Fry, the time disruption indicates that some event was supposed to happen but didn't due to a quantum fluctuation. That's why we had to beat you with tennis rackets. If we don't go back there and make the event happen, the entire universe will be destroyed. And as an environmentalist, I'm against that. Ooh. Oh. Oh. 
going to say right up front, this week is a, it's a little different. It's a walk down memory lane about a topic that I find really fascinating, but I understand many of you don't know or care about. All I ask is that you stay with me here, because all the things you hear in every week's show are in this show, just about something other than the orange cyst. Because honestly, we all need a break now and then, and it's been a long week. A bad week. We've got a crazy Bernie supporter shooting up a GOP congressperson on a baseball field, a racist elf lying in front of a Senate committee, and a super secret double probation health care bill that we can't even talk about because we don't know what the fuck is in it. And on top of that, I was sick as hell for no apparent reason. That a smoke or alcohol-related illness. Yeah, Gavin, you're going to die of a Cheeto-related illness, you fat bastard. So that illness cut the heart right out of my week. I'm tired. I turned 48 a few weeks ago, and I feel old as hell, and I just want to sit down and quietly die in a quarter, and then I gotta come in and do this shit. So I was desperate to come up with something, anything, to take my mind off this shitty week, my shitty life, because everywhere I went, it was more bad news, more hearts were being broken and people being used, I put on my coat in the pouring rain. I'm sorry I'm being informed that I've inadvertently slipped into the jewel song, I Was Meant For You for the 37th time in the run of this podcast. I apologize for the inconvenience. What I mean is I was stuck for something to talk about that was not in the moment, in the now, in this shitty reality, and then I went on Twitter, which in almost every other situation is just a really bad idea, but just this one time, it was fan-fucking-tabulous, because I saw a tweet by a Reason Magazine journalist, again, Not something that would usually make me happy, but this one did. Anyway, this journalist's name was CJ, and I apologize if I'm going to fuck up his name, Ciara Mella, and he had managed to obtain the FBI file of Mr. Gary Gygax, the co-creator of Dungeons & Dragons and savior of many a childhood, including my own. Reading through this file is like a snapshot of Gary's life at the time it was made. You get an image of a man without any context. I know a lot of the backstory on Gary's life, but the one critical piece of information I lack is why Gary Gygax had an FBI file. And the speculation on this idea is it was consuming me all week. Why would the Federal Bureau of Investigations open a file on, of all people, Gary Gygax. And above all, what does that have to do, what does Gary have to do with an unremarkable town in the Central Valley of California? This is a question that begs to be answered, and that is what I am going to do with deductive reasoning, deep research, and failing all of that, I'm going to do what Gary would do. I'm even considering making up some shit. Ernest Gary Gygax was born in Chicago, July 27, 1938. The son of Swiss immigrants, his father was a concert violinist who was either fired or walked off from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. He spent his first few years of life in Chicago, but his family moved to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, because in 1946... Gary ran with a street gang fighting for turf in a Chicago neighborhood. So we can see right there, he has a lifelong association with gangs and violence. So, that is how it's going to be. Dude, I'm trying to build a little drama into the narrative here. I learned that from Gary. I need something to work with. 
Okay, fine. This gang was a bunch of kids fighting other kids in the neighborhood. But Gary's family took him to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, because they didn't want him to grow up and uh, to be a hooligan. And that's where Gary grew up, a small lakeside town, reading massive amounts of pulp fiction like Conan the Barbarian and playing games of all sorts from chess to miniature war games. That's right, my friends. Toy soldiers, but with rules. Lots and lots and lots of rules. I've been at a miniature war game. It goes on for hours without any play because the players were having so much more fun debating a tangent of the rules than they would be than they would if they were actually playing the damn game. Although, if I have to be honest, I've been in a lot of D&D tables where that was exactly the same case as well. I'm going to rush through a lot of historical detail here to get to the meat of the meal rather than fuck around with the appetizers. In 1974, Gary and his friends published a new kind of game they didn't have a name for. They just called it the fantasy role-playing game, based on some fantasy wargaming rules Gary had created and a long-running campaign loosely based on those rules by a kid named Dave Arneson. The collaboration between these two gave the world an entirely new thing called Dungeons and Dragons. Hail Satan, it is done. You blessed souls who have lived in the world where the Dark Lord Satan has already manifested himself into your hearts with the aid of the black arts contained in the tomes of D&D. His power and majesty has always been revealed in perfect glory by the mathematical formula of dye and paper made flesh by the blood ritual of his consumed flesh in the form of round pies with meat upon them and his urine in the golden liquid contained in the green urns of his sacred majesty. Perfect combination of Mountain Dew and mozzarella. But in 1974, this was something new, something unknown, something the world did not even know that it wanted. But by his blessed satanic majesty, the world soon found out. Because what Gary and Dave created was a game unlike any other game before it. A game where instead of counters or plastic tokens representing the players, the player was you. You moved in the world, you interacted with the plot, and you decided the outcome. The rules existed only to resolve combat in an impartial manner, and beyond that, they were nothing more than guides to, to play, to be heeded or discarded as the game master or dungeon master determined. This new thing, this D&D, was a book you helped write, a movie you could climb inside and direct, and a universe where its reality was no more or less real than elves or dragons in our own. You, who grew up in a world where D&D and its lineage, the, com the computer game, already existed, simply cannot conceive of what it was like before this game, and more importantly, what it was to look at this game and realize you could make a shitload of money producing it. And friends, Gary and his friends did make a shitload of money. Money like a poor boy from Chicago or a penniless cobbler. I mean, literally, Gary Gygax was making and fixing shoes for a living while raising his family and creating this game. They or you could not even conceive of dreaming about. Okay, I see where you're going with this one. No, we're good, my friend. No, we're good. Because what comes next is not a pretty story, but we have to tell it to get to where I want to be. So sit down, grab your Mountain Dew, and let's get ready. 
Gary and his best friend Don Kay created a company to make, market, and sell this new thing, and they called it Tactical Studies Rules, or TSR for short. Just as D&D was beginning to break through, Don Kay suffered a heart attack at 36 and died. He failed his save against death. And Gary scraped together the money to buy Don's shares of this new company from his widow, who thought of gaming the same way so many spouses have done through the decades. God, this book is so stupid, I can't understand anything in it. In order to scrape that money together, Gary was forced to go to his junior partner, Brian Bloom, who in turn borrowed the money from his father, and in doing so, it effectively gave Bloom control of the company. At the time, admittedly, that company consisted of a single product all going out of being pasted together, dropped in boxes, and mailed out like an eBay shipper from Gary's front room. This place look, makes Fast Eddie's podcast talk look like fucking Goldman Sachs by comparison. But it sowed the seeds for Gary's eventual downfall right at the genesis of the story. Well, I don't like the sound of that. I have to leave Gary now and spend some time talking about TSR because this is another one of those stories that sounds like someone made up, but it's so crazy it actually has to be true. The original stake in the company put in by Don Kay, Gary Gygax, and Brian Bloom was twenty it was two thousand four hundred dollars in nineteen seventy three. It's around twelve thousand dollars in today's money. Not an unsubstantial amount of money on what was a very risky proposition, so risky that it was re rejected by several established game publishers, game publishers that TSR would go on to buy in the future. But by 1975, a year from the first publication of Dungeons & Dragons, TSR brought in $300,000 in revenue, $1.5 million in today's money. By 1981, the company had a staff of 134 employ 130 employees and was grossing $64 million a year in today's money. That is a return on investment that makes a venture capitalist splooge all over their phallic sports machines and say to themselves, I need some sort of time machine. TSR was producing D&D products like Gangbusters. Which, by the way, it was also producing, along with a myriad of other titles and game products. TSR was gigantic. It was huge. It was everywhere. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. You're playing the most phenomenal game ever created. Your skin grows cold from your first glimpse of the enormous beast. It's a product of your imagination. Survival depends on a quick, decisive move. Your choices are limited. Stand and fight, or run. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. Win the treasure. TSR Hobbies. Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. By the mid-1980s, the company which went from tactical studies rules to TSR, TSR hobbies and was now just plain old TSR was exploding into stores across the world. And not only in gaming, but also in gaming-related materials like dice and miniatures and licenses to create games from major comic books and movie franchises like Marvel Comics and Indiana Jones. I shit you not, because I have it and I will prove it because it's this week's show art, they made a board game out of the long-running daytime ABC soap opera, All My Children. Not only were they in gaming, TSR was also in magazines, toys, books, and you betcha, 
television. And this is where we rejoin our hero Gary Gygax. Gary's newfound wealth, and yes, even fame, kinda went to his head. Gary, who's always been a smoker, started drinking more and doing drugs. And this did not set well with his wife, Mary Jo Gygax. It's a lovely woman. I mean, she, she got fucked over in all of this. She had good reasons to be angry because she and Gary were both active Jehovah's Witnesses. I want you to pause for imagine, if you're a gamer, uh, and some of you are listening to this, imagine Saturday morning, you're stumbling hungover from your Cheeto and Mountain Dew-induced haze, and the door knocks, and you open it up, and the father of D&D shows up at your house on a Saturday wanting to give you a copy of the Watchtower. You're pissed because you don't want to talk to a Jehovah's Witness, it's also it's fucking Gary Gygax. I mean, you're going to invite him in. You're, you're probably going to even, like, take a copy of the Watchtower and hope that he's got an adventure module tucked in the back of it. I, I'm sorry. I went off on a tangent there. Gary had long enjoyed marijuana because who didn't in the 1970s? But according to his biographers, weed turned into cocaine and cocaine turned into affairs because, again, it was the 80s and everyone was doing cocaine and having affairs. Cocaine and hookers, my friend. Well, not me, because I was like 11, but I wanted to. This led to a divorce from Mary Jo in 1983 and the Bloom brothers wanting to get Gary the hell out of Wisconsin and out of the way of their plundering TSR for their personal personal gain. Again, don't really have a lot of proof of that, but that's what I heard anyway. I heard anyway. So, the Blooms and TSR came up with a plan. Send Gary out west. Ernest Gary Gygax went to Hollywood. Swimming pools, movie stars. Gary went to Hollywood and tried to pitch a movie. A movie that no one was buying. And if you've seen the subsequent efforts of Hollywood to try and make a D&D movie, they were right. But what they did buy was a Saturday morning breakfast cereal cartoon. And they created Dungeons and Dragons the cartoon. I am going to take a bold stand here, one for which I am castigated by D&D fans around the world. I was fucking offended by this thing. It mocked everything I felt Dungeons and Dragons stood for and demeaned a game that I love by making it fucking infantile. I took the game seriously. I put work into it. I thought Gary put work in it. It was teaching me the craft of writing and acting, and this cartoon made a joke of all of that with a bleeding goat-ass goddamn unicorn. I have never quite forgiven Gary Gygax for this abomination. You were in the game, you little shits. You had all sorts of magical powers. Why would you want to go back? This is all we who played the game ever fucking wanted. I don't understand what the problem was. Sorry. Sorry. I have emotional issues around this. At the same time as all of this is going on, the nation of the South was in the grip of hysteria. D&D had long been associated with our blessed Dark Lord Satan, master of all, and selling his soul to the devil paid well for Gary and the game. I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to libel Gary to insinuate that he had sold his lord to the blessed dark master, Satan, lord of hell. Slander is spoken. In print, it's libel. 
So I'll just slander Gary instead by intimating the only way this, this entire magical venture could ever happen is by selling his soul to the Lord of the Abyss. Come on, it's so simple. Anyway, many people were saying that D&D was a powerful tool of the devil to recruit young people into his dark and mysterious ways. I know that that certainly was what it was for me, Hail Satan. Gary even went on 60 Minutes to disavow the game's connection to his brutal majesty. Gygax owns the company and invented the game. Dieter Sturm is the head of public relations. There are a number of cases that have been documented where there is some connection between D&D. I'm not saying that D&D is the cause of the death, but paraphernalia from the game has been found at the scene of the death. Notes, suicide notes referring to the game have been found, and all of these people, in a dozen or so cases, have been documented as avid D&D players. And you see no connection whatsoever? I have yet to see one bit of, of valid clinical evidence to show that this has been anything more than coincidental with a disturbed child. If you found 12 kids in murder-suicide with, with one connecting factor in each of them, wouldn't you question it? And that's all people would do. I would certainly do it in a scientific manner, and this is as unscientific as you can get. It's nothing but a witch hunt. And in his infernal mercy, the Black Lord of Hell granted massive sales and great returns to the tool of his arrival. Because every time someone made a new claim the game was satanic, the sales went up and up. Blessed be the beast. Gary included devils and demons in the game because they were part of pulp magazines and stories he read in the 40s and 50s and the, the whole Bible thing that he was big into because he was a Jehovah's Witness. He tossed them in the mix because they were cool and spooky and we kids loved them. We could fight the evil in the world and then steal their shit when they were dead. But to the panicking peoples of America, they were just one more symbol of evil. They used them to tear down gaming and gamers and Gygax and all of us who gamed. And it worked, even when it made Gary a ton of money. But alas, the beast favors shifts like the wind, and in 1985, TSR was on the edge of the collapse. The company was in dire financial straits, and Gary rushed back from his hookers and blow in Hollywood to save it. And save it he did with new game materials and novels. He managed to gain the control of the company and stave off financial collapse, and for his trouble, he was ousted from the company permanently by the Blooms and the person he had hired, Lorraine Newman. It's not Lorraine Newman. Right no, it's not Lorraine Newman. Lane Newman was on was on Saturday Night Live. Hold on, I have to Google this. Gavin, why the hell do I even have a producer? You could have just shot me a text message that said Lorraine Williams. Lorraine Newman was on Saturday Night Live. Jack off. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. I've got the ringer turned off on my phone. All right, we gotta we gotta fix that. Gary was out. He lost control of the company. Most of his intellectual property and any rights to where the D&D game would grow or not grow. It was a pretty good kick in the crotch to take the man who created and built the company and tell him he could just go fuck himself right in the ear. TSR would go on for another decade, but it would slowly wane in influence and money until it was sold to Wizards of the Coast in 1997 and was officially closed shortly thereafter. The gaming market was all but saturated, and gamers around the world suffered from an overabundance of choices and dragons and elves just weren't cutting it anymore. Apparently, during that time, people were into fucking Vampire the Masquerade. 
Jesus fucking Anne Rice screwed over an entire generation of Gen Xers. The entire gaming market basically collapsed on itself, not unlike the home video market did in the early 80s, but it never really went away. It just grew small, insular, and hidden in the shadows for many long years. Kind of like those of us who played the games. Hasbro, the toy giant, would eventually buy Wizards of the Coast based on their lucrative collectible card game Magic the Gathering, whose market dynamic kept players buying more and more cards that sustained their revenue. Unlike D&D, where once you had the core books, you really didn't need anything else. I mean, you wanted it, and you bought it, but you never really needed it. If you had a player's handbook of Dungeon Masters got in a monster manual and some dice, you could play D&D in perpetuity. Our hero Gary Gygax never really left gaming. He tried repeatedly to capture lightning bolts in the bottle like he did in 1974, but never quite succeeded. He struggled with lawsuits against him by TSR, attempted to create new games, but always seemed to come up short of those few magical years in the 70s and 80s. By the turn of the 21st century, he'd grown to become an elder statesman of gaming, living quietly with his second wife Gail in Wisconsin, attending and speaking at gaming conventions and contributing to the flourishing world of online gaming, the message boards and things like that. And when he died in 2008... His wife, Gail Gygax, withdrew all of his licenses from the content that he created as said elder statesman, and she retains them still, along with presumably a trove of unfinished works and notes detailing decades of his life in gaming and all the other history that he helped create. His sons, Ernie and Luke, still continue the tradition of Gygax line gaming, their annual tribute to their father's life and work in the form of a convention in Lake Geneva called GaryCon, brings the lights of TSR back to the old home place and old gamers to share in the joy of the world that Gary and we created. There are worse legacies to leave the world than millions of people, young and old, who play fantasy role-playing games and all of those who live in a world shaped by his imagination and television, movies, literature, and of course computers. I guess I never really answered why Gary had an FBI record. It could be his time in Hollywood and, and the drugs. I secretly suspect, in an almost conspiratorial way, it came out of the satanic panic. It amuses me to think that some proto-Fox Mulder was handed a photo of Gary Gygax and told to track down the links between Gary and the Satanist. Oh, cause, oh my, my oh-so-hilarious jokes aside, there were none. D&D had no more to do with the devil than it did with devil's food cake. First of all, there's no such thing as Satan. Blasphemer! And while devil's food cake is delicious, you can't eat it at the gaming table. You get frosting all over your game books. You can read through Cheeto dust, but not chocolate frosting. I know it because I have a bunch of fucking game books from chocolate frosting, you fucking heathens. The satanic panic was a moment in time not that different than now, when we were desperately looking for some outside entity, some outside evil, to explain why the world we all knew and understood suddenly seemed incredibly fucked up. All I know is that Gary's story is a pretty good parable about getting what you want from life. Here was a man that loved something so intensely, he was driven to make it his life's work. He struggled through his youth to feed his family and his passion, and then somehow found a way to do that and so much more with his passion. It's a rare, magical thing many seek and so very few find. 
And it's a parable for that your passions, our passions, have a way of turning back on us, of consuming the life we had in their pursuit. Gary's not alone in this. If I told you the story about an actor or a musician, none of you would even think it was strange because we see it play out every day. But in a nerdy little man with a nerdy little game played by nerdy little boys, because that's who was played by at the time. I mean, there were a few girls. Ladies, we're happy to see you here. And we respect all of you that were there when we were fucking still a bunch of fucking misogynist little pricks. That's important. It seems slightly absurd. But this is what happened. He was human. He suffered from vanity and excess the same way we all do. He was given, a, given tons of money all of a sudden, catapulted to fame and prominence, and then lost it all, never to regain anything close to comparable to the life he had. His family now bickers over his name and his legacy, allegations of wrongdoing fire across their bowels as they struggle to come to grips with the value of that legacy. His fans choose sides and wonder what is being hidden and glom onto nuggets about him from places like his FBI files and make up stories about him because that is what he taught us to do. Make up stories and tell them to each other. Like the story of a cobbler from Wisconsin who only pretended to front a gaming company in order to fight the forces of darkness, who trained and recruited through his games a cadre of children sensitive to magic and trained in the ways of war, who even now fight battles in the shadow against demons and devils, who took his millions and funded their training and continues to keep the world safe and that someday, someday, they will find and recruit me. Not because I'm not because I can fight. I'm old and I'm fat. But they will recruit me into the ranks of researchers who sit in the ancient archives. And that is the story that I want to tell about why Gary has an FBI file and how Fresno is a code name for the government's investigation into that secret war. And someday I will tell you, pod friends, all that I know about Fresno. But until then, I think Gary would agree that would make a fucking awesome story in an adventure hook. But sadly, what I know is the file is about the Unabomber investigation. And after reading the full file, it's only loosely connected to Gary and TSR. There were some markings on one of the boxes that reminded someone of something in a miniature war game community, and those were not at all relevant to the Unabomber investigation. And if once... In the entire history of Gary Gagax and TSR, the FBI did show up with a fistful of documents asking what they were about. It came from a game called Top Secret. And they were just gaming materials. I guess that's, uh, that brings us back around circle. The Unabomber. To an angry nerd trying to kill people. Which is, uh, which is what I was trying to avoid talking about in the first place. Because I didn't want to talk about the fact that uh, an angry nerd walked onto a baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia and shot up a bunch of innocent people, even if we don't think or agree with everything they say, because he hated them so much. Because in his insanity, he felt that his only recourse was violence. I don't want to think about the world 
that guns are so easy that this guy can just walk out there with a high-powered rifle and kill a bunch of congressmen. I don't want to think about that. I want to be happy in my little tiny secret universe where Fresno is a small town in California and a little secret society that we invented to roll dice to. Sadly, I don't. Sadly, I can't. Sadly, I have to live in the real world. Just like Gary. Just like Congressman Scalise. That's it for our show this week. We know a lot of stuff happened in the real world, and frankly, most of it was just awful. In a lot of ways, that was just like my teenage years. So, like my teens, I, I retreated into a world of fantasy to make it better. Should try it. Nothing makes you feel better than bashing the skull of a goblin with a lead ball on the stick. And don't do it on the computer. Do it in your mind. If you would like to share the podcast equivalent of having your brains bashed in with a mace, rate and review the show on, rate and review the show on Apple Podcast. Let's other fail their save against good taste. I keep all my spell books on Twitter and at the hell, at, and we can find them at the hell underscore podcast and the show name on Facebook. Gavin has recently joined Twitter where he will sporadically tweet nice things about me like Trump, like a Trump cabinet meeting. He's at Producer Gavin. Follow him. All of the shows are on SoundCloud and at www.whatthehellpodcast.com. For me, Dave Bledsoe, the 140 characters that make up Producer Gavin, and all the other fictional Fresnos on this show, we want to say, just drop the mic, Gavin, and let the song take it away. The bass is thumping, the club is jumping, hot drunk girls in the corner humping, booty shaking, big titties faking, high five my boys as drinks we taking. But what do we know about this? Nothing. We're not even there, I was only fronting. We're in a basement role playing D&D, exploring the land of make-believe. It's kind of like reading a book anew, except you control what the characters do. Untold adventures await your mind as you become someone else, intertwined. Some think it's nerdy, that's probably true, but fuck you, it's just what we nerdies do. Allow our imagination are so free as our dreams here become reality all through the night sit tight and keep on rolling rolling looking for that 20 Goblins jumping, we're in the deepest part of the dungeon. Great wizards stand at the rear, throw a fireball at anything you hear. Hey, thief, don't bother, you failed your role. I see you in the shadows, little hoe. Oh, me, I'm a cavalier, I check the doors. That's the reason they call me a hero whore. That's right. Got a chain cobalt in the lead, we call him Trap Tester, know what I mean? Torches shaking, hit points aching, seeing any kind of treasure we've taken. Dice rolling, sword glowing, deep in the dungeon depths, we keep going. Hear a monster sound, look around, continue. Down the tunnel, don't find Enter a cave that reeks of foul stench Not the place we really want to be, I bet Then I see what I can't believe A red dragon standing in front of me All through the night, sit tight And keep on rolling, rolling Looking for that 20 your joy likes to collect action figure toys like to rook comic books to the hobby store like crack your hook robotech cyber sex online game until you're flex wrath of khan obi-wan 
collectible cards and these are things nerdies do of course we like to role play too haven't faced a dragon in a while nerdies at the table get kind of wild mr dm what's the deal a red dragon are you for real we're only third level don't you know and currently hit points are low from the dm comes a wicked laugh real initiative guys time for the blood bell all through the night sit tight The dragon like a bombardier. Go wizard. Think you best retired. Don't you know a red dragon's immune to fire? Oh shit, my bad. He looks kinda mad. That's my last spell. Cheerio, lad. The others run smart thing to do, but I'm a cavalier and I'm not allowed to unsheath my wicked chaos blade. The dragon's roar begins to rampage. Sound aloud a blood curdling battle cry. Close the gap to suicide. Leap attack as I gracefully glide, attempting to strike its scaly hide. Damn, well, the one my blade falls, that's it, I'm done. Oh! Mmm, so steep. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.